Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited-time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited-time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hello, America, and happy Saturday. So grateful to be with you on this, the eve before the holiest of holidays, Easter. I know a lot of people who are in the Christian faith are preparing. They may be coloring their Easter eggs, getting their Easter ham ready, cleaning up the house for friends and family. I hope the weather's great, and I know the fellowship will be great as well. Today, we've got an extraordinary discussion. Over this last week, we've had the chance to talk to some of the most important legal minds in the entire profession, and each of them focused on why the prosecution in New York against President, former President Trump, uh, brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, faces so much future legal challenge. From the statute of limitations, to the definition of fraud, to the political perceived biases of the prosecutor, maybe even the judge. Well, we're going to get you up to speed on all of those issues. We've got an all-star lineup today that I'm very, very proud of. We're going to begin the conversation with former President Donald Trump's, one of his lawyers. He joined us Thursday night for a long and good discussion about what the strategy is, what are the lines of appeals. I think you're going to walk away understanding the early legal strategy, which, by the way, even though there's not going to be another court hearing until December, almost certainly there will be motions and other hearings that occur well before that. That will also play a major role. So Jesse Benalm, one of the lawyers for President Trump, he'll join us at the top of the show. Then we'll turn to our good friend, Alan Dershowitz, the Harvard Law professor. He has a lot to say about this. A very different perspective, but also one of the great legal minds in all of America. Uh, Brett Tolman, former U.S. attorney, former chief counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee, he has some very strong thoughts about the indictment, where it goes, where the prosecutors go. And then Joe DeGeneva, another former U.S. attorney, one of the most distinguished legal minds in conservative and all legal circles. He'll join us. He has some thoughts about the prosecutor and the prosecutor's conduct and why the press conference that the prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, held right after the arraignment may be so problematic for everybody. And then we'll finish up with a little sidebar. We'll take a little detour away from politics and Alvin Bragg and Manhattan and the Big Apple and Donald Trump's legal woes. And we'll talk to Wei Feng Zhang. He is a Chinese expert at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. He is one of the most brilliant minds when it comes to China policy, has some very, very strong words about why China is making so many gains 
so quickly in the world. We'll have that for you as well. So that's our show. Don't go anywhere. We'll take a quick commercial break. When we come back, President Trump's attorney, Jesse Benal, give us the latest on where the legal team is going in that Manhattan criminal case. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Welcome back, everybody. Well, it has been 48 hours since our former president was arraigned and pled not guilty to 34 charges of falsifying business records. Here to weigh in uh, following what many are calling a political charade is Jesse Benal, one of the president's lead attorneys. Jesse, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for being here. And thank you so much for having me. Yesterday, we had former U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman on the show, and he brought up something that I think a lot of people uh, have said, that he the, the most surprising thing about the indictment, those 34 counts, was that there were no surprises. There was a fair amount of speculation as, to far, as, as far as what was going to be contained within this charging document. Were there any surprises for you or President Trump or your team? No, and... Um and, and, you know, to be clear, I'm not actually on this particular trial team. I, I work with the, the president on other cases. I'm not on this trial team. But I will say, actually, the most surprising thing uh, about this particular indictment was how thin it actually was. Um, I think most people expected there to be a little bit more meat. And at least, you know, if, if you're going to write a, a work of fiction, as Alvin Bragg has done, uh, at least make it a little bit more interesting. Um, yeah, the, the fact that he stubbornly even refuses to say what his legal theory is 
is uh, concerning um, from a, you know, not only from a perspective that the American people need to actually see this, but it's very, very concerning, concerning from a constitutional Bill of Rights perspective, where the entire purpose of the Bill of Rights um, and uh, is to know what you are on trial for, to know the theory that they are going after you on. And there's none of that here. This is an extremely thin theory that, that they have. And um, I, I just it was very surprised with the, the really the, the hubris from his office that they would go forward with this particular indictment. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, and they're still absorbing how thin it is. And they keep looking and say, well, there must be something here, and they can't seem to find it. Jesse, you've done such incredible work in this space of where um, false stories have been created against public figures. And one of the things that I think we're beginning to understand is that government prosecutors and, and police and law enforcement sometimes feed things to the media to try to frame a narrative before they take some action um, there seems to be a lot of concern about uh, the former special assistant district attorney, Mark Pomerantz, in his book. I've never seen a prosecutor do a kiss and tell book about a non-charged case before. How big a role should that play in the litigation going forward? You basically had grand jury information spilling out everywhere and no accountability, no, no prosecution, no penalty to, at all thus far. John, I think that's a great point, and it is usually pretty difficult to make out a case um, for selective prosecution, Right. Um, and this is the best case I've ever seen in my career for selective prosecution. Um, it's certainly, you know, one of the top three ever, and um, uh, that... Uh, under a, a selective pro, uh, prosecution theory or some other theories, I can see that Pomerantz's testimony could be very, very enlightening as to why this prosecution uh, was brought and um, some of the information that he put in his book, which he said, as you said, is very, very unprecedented for a, for a prosecutor to come forward with that kind of information that he got um, through the, the prosecutorial uh, process, through the investigative process, to actually publish that um, to the American people just flies in the face of the entire criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, and to be able to put him on the witness stand, I think, would go a long way to showing that this isn't about um, investigating crimes and prosecuting people that are that we really believe have committed crimes. This is all um, the, the persecution of Donald Trump for political purposes alone. Uh, and so I think that is going to be very enlightening in this case. Um, it's going to be, uh, I think, this judge is going to be inclined uh, very possibly not to let that evidence uh, in. And um, that would be, I think, a huge, huge mistake. I think if he wants to show um, that he can be impartial, um, then evidence from Pomerantz should absolutely come in and, and we should be able to see the evidence um, uh, showing that this isn't um, a prosecution about crime, it's a, it's a prosecution about politics. If, if uh, the district attorney wanted to prosecute uh, crime, there's plenty of rapes and murders that right now he's letting go unanswered in New York that he can focus on rather than, than a, a political uh, action like he has uh, here. Good point. 
Yeah, I'm sure the people of New York would appreciate the safety being stepped up in their city. Um, Mark Pomerantz yeah. sure had a lot to say in his book. Uh, I wonder if he'll have as much to say on the floor of Congress. Obviously, there has been this ongoing communication between Chairman Jim Jordan and D.A. Bragg's office. A lot of folks on the left side of the aisle, a lot of mainstream media commentators say there there shouldn't be this overlap of the judicial branch, branch and the legislative branch, but this subpoena has gone out. Mark Pomerantz is going to have to answer questions. What do you expect the nature of that questioning to look like? Well, I think it's very important questioning that Congress is going to look into. And in order for Congress to uh, legitimately send out subpoenas and have a hearing, you need a legislative purpose. And the legislative purpose in this case is very, very clear. Um, You know, first and foremost, we need to make sure that federal taxpayer money um, is not going to uh, political prosecutions and huge civil rights violations that we are, are seeing right now in New York. And so Congress should absolutely be pushing that. On top of that, there is a big need at this moment um, for legislation that very, very specifically prohibits political prosecutions. We already have some very uh, some version of this that's on the books. It's just not enforced. It's called violation of civil rights under color, uh, under color of law. And um, of course, I don't do not expect that the Garland Justice Department would ever enforce that. Um, but Congress needs to look into that. And I think examining uh, Pomerantz under oath by the uh, by some of these committees is extremely, extremely important, should be done. Um, my fear is, is that Pomerantz and Bragg, um, they're all going to stick their heels in uh, with the idea that, oh, uh, Merrick Garland is never going to authorize a prosecution uh, of me if I am held in contempt of Congress. That is, I, I think, the, the real fear in, in something like this. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it, that may very well be true uh, because, you know, while they were very happy to prosecute people um, who ran afoul of the January 6th committee, I, I don't think they're likely right now to lift a finger uh, for people that run afoul of a Republican-led Congress. Um, but, of course, attorney generals are not permanent. And so what these people should know um, is that if they, if they are held in contempt of Congress, then um, hopefully uh, the next attorney general will, will pursue those. And, and it may not even just be contempt. Some of the stuff that, that is out there could legitimately be obstruction um, of Congress uh, if if uh, if Bragg and Pomerantz uh, both get in in the way of the congressional investigations as they as they really are threatening to do right now, yeah. and that's something that is a much more serious felony um, that has a much longer statute of limitations that a, a future attorney general could bring up. Really great hmm. point, Jesse. We got about a minute left. I want to ask about this. A lot of different things that w- where the Trump team can go: change of venue, appealing the statute of limitations, uh, appealing the uh, the underpinnings of the def- attempt to defraud, which has a very clear meaning under the Supreme Court. Where do you think in the next six, eight months of this long slog of litigation, the Trump team will go? What are some of the most important issues to litigate? I think you're going to see a motion to dismiss. There's a lot of fodder for a motion to dismiss uh, statute limitations. Uh, the fact that, that none of this, even if true, and that's an important thing for a motion to dismiss, is you basically have to say, even if everything in the indictment is true, which of course it's not, um, but even if it was true, it still isn't a crime. And that's true. There is no legal theory here. 
Um, and there should also be a change of venue. Everybody knows that there's uh, no chance that Donald Trump's going to get a fair uh, trial in Manhattan. I mean, it's, it's laughable. All, all the American people on both sides of the aisle know that, that there's no fair trial yeah. available there. And we're going to have to really see if this is the right judge as well. And this judge, I think, needs to take a, a really hard look to, to see if he could truly really be uh, impartial. Um, in this case. And and very possibly, I I think we can be looking at a refusal motion as well. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz with his thoughts on a tumultuous week in the legal world. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. Joining us right now, Harvard Law Professor Emeritus. Alan Dershowitz joins us now. Alan, you've been warning that this was going to be a legally insufficient indictment. Did it live up to your expectations? Much worse than I thought. Much worse than I thought. I thought they would come up with something. They have labored mightily and they have produced a mouse. And the mouse's name is Mickey. And they divided the the mouse into 34 parts. Uh, But it's the same basic thing. They basically are accusing him of paying hush money 
and not disclosing the fact that the hush money was paid to keep quiet an allegation about a sexual affair. And I want to issue a challenge to District Attorney Bragg, because I think he misled the American public. He said in his press conference that this is the bread and butter of what they do. They file these kinds of cases all the time. Challenge. Show us one case, one case, where you ever prosecuted somebody for paying hush money and simply not revealing that the money was paid to keep quiet a sexual affair. Why would anybody ever pay hush money if he or she then had to disclose it on a public forum? Nobody in history has ever paid hush money and then correctly disclosed it on a private corporate forum. So I challenge you, D.A. Bragg, find me such a case. Yeah, it's a big challenge. <laughs> and, and yeah, and there were a lot of things that seemed outside the barriers um, as far as we knew. Uh, last week, we heard that there were 34 counts, and yeah. that was not supposed to be out there. Speaking of things that are supposed to be secret, this was a grand jury proceeding, and now we know that that 34 was right, so someone was obviously leaking. Should President Trump file a complaint for D.A. Bragg's office deviating from criminal procedure law? Here's the problem. The media doesn't like going after... Um, uh, people who leak information because they're the <laughs> they like to get the information. So it's very right. hard. To leak into, look what's going on in the Supreme Court of the United States. They leaked the decision, and nobody has discovered who the leaker was. So, yeah, sure. Um, I don't believe it was Trump or his team that leaked it because first of all, they wouldn't know there were thirty four. They got to see the indictment the same time that the rest of us, maybe an hour earlier. So there was a leak. It was right under Bragg's nose. It either involved somebody in his office or somebody on the grand jury, and it's a more serious felony than anything that was uh, charged against Donald Trump. So it's another example of selective prosecution. Yeah, no doubt. Well, last time around, Alan, you did such a good job of saying that one plus one can't equal 11, and you walk through all the problems with the statutory limitations and the upgrading of charges. I want to take you to one other thing. Chris Christie sometimes is in the orbit of Donald Trump. Sometimes he's on the critical side, on the outside. But his Bridgegate case, the unanimous ruling in 2020 by the United States Supreme Court, Kelly versus the United States, uh, seems to be very relevant here. Chris Christie's Bridgegate scandal may be the most beneficial thing Donald Trump has going because the court said you can't have a conspiracy to defraud if someone doesn't take money or property away from a victim. None of that's here, and yet 34 times uh, Alvin Bragg uses in the indictment a, a effort or an accusation that President Trump was trying to defraud someone. How big an opportunity is this for the Trump lawyers to get an early win? Well, it's interesting. And not an early win, because he's not going to get a judge that will have the courage to throw out the case, but an ultimate win. Uh, you know, in my book, which I know you know about, yeah, get, Trump, get Trump, I went through all of the charges against him, and I went through the, the fraud issue. Uh, when you get an indictment like this against the man who's running for president, after the DA has promised to get the guy, and the DA is a Democrat, and the man running for president's a Republican, you expect to at least see reference to a victim. Where's the victim here? Who was hurt? Stormy Daniels isn't the victim. Who is the victim here? Um, and, and, and do you ever devote that much time and resources, lawyers' time, to some victimless crime? He's reducing victim crimes repeatedly from felonies to misdemeanors. And now he's trying to raise uh, a victimless crime from a non-misdemeanor to a misdemeanor and then to a felony. Um, by saying that in his mind, when Trump did this, allegedly, he had in mind only one thing to help him win the campaign. So it was a campaign contribution. 
Nothing to do with his brand, which is very valuable, his family, which he loves, uh, his friends. No, nothing to do with that. It only had to do with helping him get elected. And he had to know that at the time that he made the false entry, because he had to have made the false entry with the intention of covering up another crime. The indictment doesn't mention the other crime, but in his press conference, he mentions a couple of them, but they all relate to the same uh, Stormy Daniels and other kinds of uh, personal uh, sexual and other payoffs. Right. Uh, that's just not a crime. You know, it's just not yeah. a crime. Well, Stormy Daniels might like to pretend that she's a victim today, after, especially after that $122,000 bill she just got from the Ninth Circuit. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, you know, for President Trump and his legal team going forward, as John articulated a moment ago, you've got Bridgegate, you've got this other case, Hankin out of New York. Are those the, are those the precedents that his team should use for the first line of attack after this? Not the first line of attack, the second line. Let me explain why. The first line of attack should be to make motions, which if he loses, which he will, you can appeal. And those are change of venue motions and statute of limitations. If you lose on those, you can generally take those up to the court before the trial. If you lose on a motion to dismiss on legal grounds, you generally have to wait until after the conviction to appeal. He would win on that, but one could be done more expeditiously and quickly than the other, and as lawyers ought to prioritize under New York law which issues are, are subject to inter, what's called interlocutory appeals, appeals that can be taken while the case is still going on. Mm -hmm. uh, Alan, i got less than a minute. I just want to ask this quickly. You have sent many great lawyers into their careers as senators, as judges, as um, politicians, political leaders, legal professors. Uh, Alan Bragg coming out and holding that news conference today, is that something you would have taught a good prosecutor to do? No. <laughs> no, he went to Harvard Law School, but I don't think he had me as a professor. I, I sure hope not. <laughs> um, but, you know, look, people who I taught have done things that I fundamentally disagree with. Yeah. I remember once arguing a case against a former student, and I said to him, I can't lose, because if you win, I take the credit for having trained you. <laughs> I take the credit. So I always love to argue against my former students. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, former U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman, former general counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee, a very well-respected mind in legal circles and prosecutorial circles, will join us next with his thoughts on Manhattan, D.A. Alvin Bragg. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, many Americans looked on with astonishment as what many describe as an activist judge indicted the 45th president, Donald Trump. And I have a feeling that our next guest is going to have a similar opinion of that judge. But let's ask him. Former U.S. attorney and counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee, Brett Tolman, he joins us now. Brett, great to have you back on the show. Great to see you, Amanda. Thanks, John, for having me on. Appreciate it. Great honor. We love having I'll, I'll you on, you and, and I'm so glad. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just thought it was um, it's a great lead in because we're dealing with uh, a judge, a grand jury, a prosecutor, uh, a criminal justice system that people have no confidence in. It's it's a mess. And they're you know, where do we start? Yeah. Well, Brett, that was something I wanted to ask you because, you know, you have a lot of experience in this area. And as you saw these charges, these these 34 counts yesterday and the job that D.A. Bragg had to do, um, I know you can relate to these weighty and consequential decisions that have to be made as far as moving forward with charges on something or deciding not to. What do you think was the ultimate impetus, the catalyst that in, in D.A. Bragg's head and heart said, yeah, I'm going to do this? Yeah, Amanda, it's a, a great question um, and commentary, I think, on what's going on here. When the uh, indictment was released, I was hopeful that there would be, you know, a su- substance to them or something I was, you know, su- you know, something that would surprise me and would justify the action of this prosecutor. But in the end, uh, the indictment itself weakened um, the position of the of the prosecutor, and it sends a stronger message that it's more political than maybe we ever expected. And in the back of my mind, I think you have someone who ran on the campaign of taking down Donald Trump. I think uh, he backed away from that perhaps in the early days. And I think he heard from his constituents on that issue and decided, you know what, I'll present it, even though I know it's a horrible case. And we'll put the blame on the grand jury, which is something he can do. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He did try to shift that a little bit with the uh, the press conference, which in itself was a really unusual. I've covered a lot of press conferences at the Justice Department over the years. I've never seen a prosecutor try to poison the jury poll as aggressive as he did yesterday. Your, your thoughts on coming out right after the judge said, hey, watch your language, everybody. He comes right out and has a very partisan press conference, most people thought. Yeah, I think it's it's astounding. I, I guess I should no longer be surprised. John, when I when I drafted indictments for grand juries that were multiple count indictments, um, I had to have a factual basis to support multiple counts. And what I mean by that is each count has to be a separate crime. It, it can be connected so that you can put them in the same indictment, but you have to have a separate crime in each and every count. When I looked at this, one, you had big questions uh, in trying to determine what the crime is he's articulating because he claims they were felonies. And the only thing that seems to be articulated is very poorly worded misdemeanor at best. But then the connection between them is really just different snapshots of the same alleged misrepresentation. That's not what a speaking indictment with multiple counts is supposed to contain. So there's nothing about this that is done well. There's nothing about it that seems thoughtful, nor does it seem based on evidence or substance. And it should scare all of us that that's now the the prosecutor's use of his discretion. Yeah. Well, and I want to hone in on that a little because 
when you have the president of El Salvador and the president of Mexico both both saying things to the effect of our our system of justice is weaponized. Uh, it's a two tier justice system. You look at instances like Hillary Clinton with respect to her payment to Christopher Steele for the Russian dossier. She effectively uh, committed the same crime as far as bookkeeping and fraudulent business. Uh, you know, the way that she classified that within her document, she classified it, I think, as a, as a legal fee. Uh, so it pretty much lines up exactly. And then you look at the way that she was treated by our justice system. She paid a fine last year. Yeah, two important points, though, to keep in mind about the Hillary Clinton situation on that one. They were within the statute of limitations. So you also had you had you had, you know, an ability to bring that case more so than you do the the case you're bringing now. And and then the other the second point on that is I said earlier that we would not truly appreciate the gravity of the moment we are standing in in terms of its historical significance. Um, It'll be many years probably until we do. But the. The reason I, I've said that before is we will start to see now, um, pol- you know, the political decision making at the highest levels in our in our justice system. And w- the weaponization is only the beginning. It will now be wielded without that um, with, without that sobriety and without that um, service to the law and the facts and without the impartiality. And so the lady justice is no longer blind. The blindfold has been taken off and whoever wields the sword is the one who is administering justice. Yeah, exactly what our founding fathers didn't want to have happen to this great country. Uh, But I want to ask a little bit about this. Um, We've had some giant figures occupy the office of CIA director, FBI director. One of them did both. William Webster, a man of great integrity, Yesterday, we watched uh, James Comey, uh, as a former FBI director, cheer the fact that they finally got Trump, the guy he's been trying to get for years. It felt like a conduct unbecoming a former FBI director. Am I being too harsh on him? No, I don't think you are. It's very disappointing. There's no soberness or, or reflection in terms of where we are as a country. But keep in mind, this is this is a man who who turned you know his positions of power into personal um, platforms to accomplish things that he wanted to and it increased over time and even to the point where he would leak stuff to the media that he deemed appropriate really was an unconscionable uh, um, you know moment in in our history in the justice system and so it's not surprising that he's you know at this point failing to truly appreciate the gravity of what's going on. Brett, we've just got about 30 seconds left. I follow you on Twitter, so I get to see in real time some of the stuff that you're working on at Right on Crime, and you do incredible work. But tell our audience where they can find you and find out more about what you're doing. Thanks, Amanda. Yes, we are trying to get conservatives across the country to be the ones that fix the criminal justice system where it's needed to be fixed. And the reason I want conservatives and not the left is we will never forget about public safety. And we wanna get rid of violent crime and we wanna lower the crime rate. And so at uh, rightoncrime.com, we are hoping to be in every state at some point to fix the justice system. 
All right, folks, buckle your seatbelt when you come back. One of the most colorful and brightest minds in the legal profession, former U.S. attorney, former independent counsel, Joe DeGeneva will join us. He's got some pretty sharp words for Alvin Bragg, the conduct of the office, the book writing prosecutors, and a whole lot more. And why it really may matter in the court of law. We'll have that right after these commercial messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Our next guest tonight knows everything about the law, no matter if it's criminal or civil. He was the former United States attorney for the District of Columbia and is partner of his own law firm. He is Joe DeGeneva, Joseph DeGeneva, I should call you by your full name. And he's here now, Joe. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. My pleasure. Sir, I, you know, we haven't had you on since the beginning of this, this saga, since we all found out that this was absolutely happening uh, late Thursday afternoon. First reaction, sir. I think this indictment is an embarrassment to the man, the historic Manhattan District Attorney's Office. It's an embarrassment to the bar of the city of New York and the court system of New York. This case should be dismissed for a number of reasons. Uh, statute of limitations, prosecutorial misconduct, failure to state a crime. It's fascinating. Uh, John, I saw earlier you were discussing with Alan Dershowitz the Supreme Court case, the Kelly case with Bridgegate. This is on all fours with Kelly. There's nothing of value that the president, the former president, defrauded anybody of. And so I think I think when all is said and done, if this judge is good to he didn't impose a gag order today, which showed me that he has some common sense. And if he can end up being a hero by dismissing this case on the statute of limitations, he's going to have a lot of friends in the court system and the bar, because I think there's a silent majority in the New York bar and bench that thinks this case is awful. And so is Alvin Bragg. Yeah, and there is some serious consequences. We've seen Democrats go after law licenses of critics in the past. Uh, it seems to me that Alvin Bragg, when he stepped out, had that news conference after this indictment. I've been covering law for a long time. I've never seen a prosecutor grandstand like that. Is his law license potentially in jeopardy if someone were to file a bar complaint? Yes, uh, theoretically they are. It's hard to see, although I must say that the bar in New York has done very little 
about anybody except Rudy Giuliani. Right. Uh, they 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 let Chuck Schumer get away with threatening two Supreme Court justices on the steps of the Supreme Court. Nobody filed a complaint against Chuck Schumer, who is a lawyer licensed to practice law in New York in the state of New York. But I do think what Alan Bragg did today violated every ABA standard on pre-trial publicity by a prosecutor. This was a disgraceful news conference. He went beyond the four corners of the indictment. He was explaining why Donald Trump should be found guilty. Uh, this man is an embarrassment and uh, he should be disbarred. And I hope he is. Yeah, the fact that he had to get out there and, and speak about this, I think, says something because there's an old quote when you're explaining you're losing. I wanted to ask you about one thing in particular he said, because during that press conference, he, he talked about President Trump and, and bolstering his argument by saying that he was suppressing negative information. I haven't seen everything that's on the Hunter Biden laptop, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't positive information that was suppressed. <laughs> well, if, if we are to use that as the yardstick, uh, America is in bad shape because the FBI yeah. seems to have forgotten how to investigate cases. The Justice Department under Merrick Garland has become a group of thugs uh, marauding against parents and conservatives with whom they disagree. Uh, I, I think what you saw today was an example of George Soros getting the benefit of his huge contribution to Alvin Bragg. I noticed that the, the lefties are saying, oh, it wasn't a million dollars and it didn't go to Bragg. Well, it was a million dollars to a PAC that gave at least $500,000 to Bragg. And by the way, that exceeds the almost total amount of money that was spent by all the candidates in that race. That's a great point. I think we lost Joe there for a second. Hopefully we'll get him right back on. Amanda, a lot of wisdom in that thing. And, you know, this is a guy, Joe, Joe DeGeneva brought the prosecution against Mayor, Mayor Marion Barry, secured a criminal conviction there. He's one of the most trusted prosecutors. To hear him see the insufficiencies of this case of Alvin Bragg really opens up a lot of eyes. I think he's right. Silent majority of lawyers probably uncomfortable with what they saw today. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you and I have spoken at length about the vulnerabilities in this case. I think we have Joe back now. We, we've had a little bit of signal issues. It's almost like we're being suppressed technologically. Joe, are you there? <laughs> He's back. Uh, I am. And I can tell you, it was Alvin Bragg intercepting your signal. <laughs> <laughs> Probably That's so. Crazy. Um, we, we, we've asked a, a quite a bit of legal scholars about this, but in your opinion, what are some of the, the most glaring vulnerabilities for this case? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that to me, uh, the, first of all, I agree with Alan. You, you file for a change of venue, even if you don't get it, because then you preserve the issue on appeal. Uh, second, the statute of limitations to me is the raw basic issue in this case. They have jerry-rigged a felony in order to extend the statute of limitations. And I don't see how it survives, because the last transaction uh, was in 2017. So, I mean, we're way beyond that. And so I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just concerned that what you have going on now in the United States with these Soros bought and paid for prosecutors is a subversion of the rule of law, a subversion of independent prosecutors and a politicization of the charging process and an abandonment of all fair standards. So to me, Bragg represents all of that. And this case represents the worst kind of justice in America. I felt violated when I read the indictment and the statement of facts and his and his press release that came along with it. 
This is not the way prosecutors are supposed to act in the United States. They are supposed to be fair and impartial to, to, to strike hard blows, but not foul blows, as Justice Jackson said. This is a foul blow that has been struck today by Alvin Bragg, not only against Donald Trump, but against the system of justice in New York and the United States. Yeah, and it's part of a larger picture that I know you've spent a lot of time, Joe, thinking about when you were a U.S. attorney, you followed the letter, the spirit of the law and the rules. Today, we have a, a lot of people in the profession, particularly in the prosecutorial investigative profession, that want to color outside the lines. In fact, they brag about coloring outside the lines. How do we start to change the mentality so that the generational mentality you had when you had the awesome powers of being a U.S. attorney are practiced in these prosecutors right now? Because so many of them, you've got the Soros prosecutor in St. Louis, who's now maybe going to be removed, but you know all sorts of political cases there. Uh, you've got the FBI, the Russiagate case, which you were so important in helping to expose. Lots of abuses. It seems like an important mindset has eroded from the law enforcement community. Well, I think the best example of that is uh, James Comey, who on the day that Donald Trump was revealed, was indicted, said, this is a good day. Now, can you imagine any former FBI director like Judge Webster saying something like that? James Comey is a very disturbing figure in American law enforcement. He single handedly exonerated Hillary Clinton illegally and excused major crimes by her. And then he went and constructed a conspiracy against Donald Trump, not only as a candidate and private citizen, but then as a a presumptive president and then a president of the United States. That example, by the way, is really disturbing to me because no one among that group, James Comey and all the people that worked for him who formed that conspiracy against Donald Trump was ever prosecuted. And I, I must say, I am extremely disappointed in John Durham and his performance. While I applaud how hard he has worked, I think the failure to prosecute any of those senior FBI officials for a conspiracy to deny Donald Trump his civil rights is an aching, aching blow to the body of fair enforcement. And it may be something that from which we will never recover. And, and let me just say this. The FBI just asked for hundred of almost a hundred billion dollars to build a new FBI headquarters. Yeah. If Congress wants to get change in the FBI, they must not allow the building of that behemoth. That will get their attention. Christopher Ray is a lazy, incompetent, empty suit. The only thing he understands is his next job and money for his agency. If you want to get his attention, you get an, you stop that appropriation for that building. All right, folks, we've got one more leap to go. We got a big conversation about China coming up with the Mercatus Center's Wei Feng Zhang. He is one of the most important minds in China security discussions, always has great ideas, great insights. He's going to join us for an important discussion before we head into the weekend, at least a Sunday, Easter celebrations about China, Biden, Congress, what's going on? He's going to make sense of it all right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, America. When I was growing up, there's a Billy Joel song I used to love, New York State of Mind. These days, Washington's in a China state of mind, a bipartisan China state of mind. A lot going on, a lot of agreement for the first time in the nation's capital that China does pose a serious threat to this great country. Well, our next guest, he's been studying and making policy and making good decisions about China for a long time. Joining us right now, our good friend, Wei-Feng Zhang, Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, right here in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. Wei-Feng, great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you for having me back, John and Amanda. We love having you on, and what a day to have you on. The Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, meets with the Taiwanese President. Last week, Hakeem Jeffries did it. Bipartisan embrace of Taiwan uh, in the face of threats from China. What message does it send to Beijing? I think that's uh, sending a strong message to Beijing in the sense that just month, uh, months after Speaker Pelosi went to Taiwan, now we have the, the new speaker meeting with the Taiwanese president on the American soil. So I think that's an extraordinary moment. And uh, I, I would actually push even further to, to say that, to argue that uh, policymakers in Washington, they can do even more in terms of supporting Taiwan. I've talked about in the past, uh, clarifying the strategy in terms of defending Taiwan if China invades the island. And there are other cooperations U.S. government could do with the Taiwanese government, for example, including in cyber attack uh, cooperation, sharing intelligence. And there are many venues for cooperation. I think that this should be taken as a good start for uh, much more to come. Yeah, that's for sure. Weifeng, I want to talk a little bit about the tech side of things. Uh, about 10 years ago, I read a book called One Second After. Um, it was a novel. I don't typically read fiction, but it was about an EMP attack. And a lot of people look at China as a threat uh, with respect to something like an EMP attack. But last year, you put out some research with respect to underwater cables that carried data between Taiwan and China and how much of the world's data relies on these cables. Talk to us about how, how scary it is if that type of infrastructure was disrupted? That's a very important issue, uh, Amanda. I'm glad you brought this up because virtually uh, 99% of the data uh, between continents are carried by cables underneath the water. So when we uh, speak of you know data on the cloud, it's not really on the cloud. It's not through satellites. It's through actually satellite cables, uh, undersea cables connecting different continents. Taiwan is in a, a very important node in the network. Taiwan is connected to, I think, 14, 15 cables uh, to the outside world. And the report we uh, released last year showed that China has been con- uh, collecting information, detailed information about potential uh, targets or points of interest in Taiwan. And they have been doing this for, for over 10 years. And the targets they collected included 
um, like submarine cable landing stations where all these cables come to shore and they are connected uh, to say a facility that's not necessarily very secure and so in the kinetic conflict all, all these infrastructure could potentially be in jeopardy if China targets those uh, uh, places. And that would virtually take uh, Taiwan off the grid uh, in the global internet. Yeah, Oof. that is a scary thought. It really is. Weifeng, I want to ask you a little bit about Joe Biden because uh, it was a little over three years ago. He looked in the camera and said, China's not only not our enemy, they're not even our competition. Nothing to worry there. Don't look there. Now almost everybody in his party has agreed that it is a adversary to the United States. China's an adversary. And yet the president continues to look so weak on such basic things. This week alone, we found out the story they originally gave us about the spy balloon isn't true. We didn't stop it from block, uh, we didn't block it from spying us. It was actually collecting data the whole darn trip across the United States. Why does Joe Biden look so weak on China issues? I think there's a general uh, lack of knowledge in terms of how tricky intelligence collection can be. Uh, the United States, I mean, uh, defense uh, uh, officials or maybe intelligence officials, they may be thinking that uh, the, with their tricks, they could block the uh, signals from being sent back to Right. Be, being collected and then sent back to Beijing. But you never know, right? You, you never know really how advanced China's in, intelligence collection has become. They have become very good, for example, in uh, uh, spying um, uh, on Americans right. on the digital world, you know, rely, relying on things like equipment made by Huawei or, or, or the TikTok apps. Uh, they collect a lot of data on the American people, and we are right. just, uh, for the whole time, being ignorant about it. Weifeng, so many of the conversations that we have with you would not even be necessary if we didn't rely on China for so much. And recently, Chase Bank's uh, CEO, Jamie Dimon, was talking about that with respect to national security and this administration's push to move majority towards EV uh, electronic uh, or electric vehicles. You look at China, you look at everything, natural graphite, copper, lithium, other rare earth minerals that we get from China. Is this going to leave our nation as a parking lot? Is this a national security issue? It absolutely will be. I think I have a lot of concern about the energy transitions that uh, everybody's talking about here without relying, uh, without realizing that when we say we want to uh, turn everything into, say, with batteries, uh, all these uh, rare earth minerals, they are processed in China. And uh, the majority of the of these in the global supply chain are processed in China. So when you rely so much on China, you are basically handing a, a, a weapon a weaponry to the Chinese government in terms of a economic uh, uh, economic weapon to uh, potentially punish the United States and its allies. So I, I think I have, I have a lot of concerns about these um, uh, transition issues. And the fundamental, I think Amanda, you're right in the sense that we have been so deep in the economic engagement with China. Have we? had the chance to, say, redo the economic engagement with China when China joined, joined the WTO, I think the terms of engagement sh- needs to be, would need to be very, very different from the, because we came into this, uh, you know, accepting China into WTO with a very romantic uh, sense, right? So, you know, China is going to join uh, the, the liberal world and it might even become a democracy at some point. Yeah. We are very disappointed by, by how that uh, doesn't, you know, uh, come to be a reality. And so I think uh, a lot of it is uh, now we are doing damage control. Now that we are so intertwined in terms of the economic connections with China, how do you pull back 
in a way that doesn't hurt us so much, right? So we have many other ways to pull, pull back that would hurt us a lot, like trade war would hurt us a lot. And I, th- I think uh, policymakers now need to be smarter in terms of like coming up with smarter ways to punish China or counter, on, uh, counter China on the security threats. All right, folks, that wraps up our Saturday edition of John Solomon Reports. So glad you could join us. So impressed that we could have a conversation with so many great people. A lot of food for thought. You kind of get the sense there's going to be a lot of conversations going on in the next few months in the court of law as Trump's legal teams begin to challenge all of these issues that have come up in the Manhattan prosecution. And, of course, China is an extraordinary threat to our country to our domestic policy, our foreign policy. We're going to have that conversation continue tomorrow on our Sunday edition. We've got a great lineup. Congressman Greg Stubbe, Scott Perry, and Rodney Davis. Rodney, now a retired congressman. Bill O'Reilly, the great journalist. And George Beebe, he's the former Russian expert for the CIA. He ran the Russia desk at the CIA. He has some very sharp words about not only the conduct in the Russia-Ukraine war, what's going to resolve it, but also about America's lost capability for diplomacy. Sharp, sharp words against President Joe Biden from one of the CIA's most learned experts on Russia. We'll have all that tomorrow. Until then, God bless you and have a great night. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.